Chapter 20 of The Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Donna Stewart, Seattle, Washington. The Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate by Eliza P. Donner Houghton. Chapter 20. I return to Grandma. War rumors at the fort. Lingering hope that my mother might be living. An Indian convoy. The Bruners and their home. The spring of 1848 was at hand when my brother-in-law said to me, Grandma Bruner wants you to come back to her. And if you would like to go, I'll take you to the fort as soon as the weather changes and leave you with the people who are getting ready to move north and are willing to take you with them to Sonoma, where Grandma now lives. The storm was not over, but the day was promising when my bundle of clothes was again on the pommel of the saddle and I was ready to begin my journey. I was so excited that I could hardly get around to say goodbye to those who had gathered to see me off. We returned by the same route that we had followed out on that warm June day, but everything seemed different. The catkins on the willows were forming, and the plain was green with young grass. As we neared the fort, we passed a large camp of fine-looking Indians who, I was told, were the friendly Walla Wallas that came every spring to trade ponies and otter and beaver skins with Captain Sutter for provisions, blankets, beads, gun caps, shot, and powder. A large emigrant wagon stood near the adobe house where my new brother-in-law drew rein. Before dismounting, he reached back, took me by the arm and carefully supported me as I slid from the horse to the ground. I was so stiff that I could hardly stand, but he led me to the door where we were welcomed by a good-natured woman to whom he said, "'Well, Mrs. Lennox, you see I brought the little girl. I don't think she'll be much trouble unless she talks you to death.' Then he told her that I had, during the ride, asked him more questions than a man six times his size could answer." but she laughed and loud that I couldn't match either of her three boys in asking questions, and then informed him that she did not calculate on making the move till the roads be drier and the weather settled. She promised, however, that I should have good care until I could be handed over to the Bruners. After a few words with her in private, Perry McCoon bade me good-bye and passed out of my life forever. I was now again with emigrants who had crossed the plains in 1846, but who had followed the Fort Hall route, and so escaped the misfortunes that befell the Donner Party. Supper over, Mrs. Lennox made me a bed on the floor in the far corner of the room. I must have fallen asleep as soon as my head touched the pillow, for I remember nothing more until I was awakened by voices, and saw the candle still burning, and Mrs. Lennox and two men and a woman sitting near the table. The man speaking had a shrill voice, and his words were so terrifying that I shook all over. My hair felt as though it were trying to pull itself out by the roots. A cold sweat dampened my clothes. I was afraid to move or to turn my eyes. Listening, I tried to remember how many Indians he was talking about. I knew it must be a great many, for it was such a long word. After they went away and the house was dark, 
I still seemed to see his excited manner and to hear him say, "'Mrs. Lennox, we've got to get out of here right away, "'for I heard tell at the store before I come up "'that there's bound to be an engine outbreak. "'Them savages from Sonora are already on their way up, "'and they'll kill and scalp every man, woman, and child they can catch, "'and there's nothing to keep them from catching us "'if we stay at this here little fort any longer.' I lay awake a long while. I did not dare call out, because I imagined some of those Indians might have got ahead of the rest and be sneaking up to our house at that very moment. I wondered where I could hide if they should climb through the window, and I felt that Georgia would never know what had become of me if they should kill and scalp me. As soon as Mrs. Lennox stirred in the morning, I ran to her and had a good cry. She threatened all sorts of things for the man that had caused me so much torture, and declared that he believed everything he heard. He did not seem to remember how many hundred miles away Sonora was, nor how many loaded cannon there were at the fort. I felt better satisfied, however, when she told me that she had made up her mind to start for Sonoma the next day. After breakfast, her younger boys wanted to see the Walla Wallas and took me along. A cold breath from the Sierra Nevadas made me look up and shiver. Soon Captain Sutter and Kern passed us, the former on his favorite white horse and the latter on a dark bay. I was delighted to catch a glimpse of those two good friends, but they did not know it. They had been to see the Indian ponies, and before we got to the big gate, they had gone in and the Walla Wallas were forming a line on both sides of the road between the gate and the front of the store. Only two Indians at a time were allowed to enter the building, and as they were slow in making their trades, we had a good chance to see them all. The men, the boys, and most of the women were dressed in fringed buckskin suits, and their hands and faces were painted red, as the Sioux warriors of Fort Laramie painted their cheeks. The Lennox boys took greatest interest in the little fellows with the bows and arrows, but I could not keep my eyes from the young princess, who stood beside her father, the chief. She was all shimmering with beads. They formed flowers on her moccasins, fringed the outer seams of her doeskin trousers and the hem of her tunic, formed a stripe around her armholes and her belt, glittered on a band which held in place the eagle plume in her hair, dangled from her ears and encircled her neck and arms. Yet she did not seem to wear one too many. She looked so winsome and picturesque that I have never forgotten the laughing, pretty picture. We started back over ground where my little sisters and I had wandered the previous spring. The people whom I remembered had since gone to other settlements, and strangers lived in the old huts. I could not help looking in as we passed, for I still felt that Mother might not be dead. She might have come down the mountain alone, and perhaps I could find her. The boys, not knowing why I lagged behind, tried to hurry me along, and finally left me to go home by myself. This not from unkindness, but rather love of teasing, and also oblivion of the vain hope I cherished. Mrs. Lennox let me dry the dishes for her after the noon meal, then sent me to visit the neighbor in the next house while she should stow her things in the wagon and get ready for the journey. I loved this lady in the next house as soon as she spoke to me, and I was delighted with her baby, who reached out his little arms to have me take him and raised his head for me to kiss his lips. While he slept, his mother sewed and talked with me. She had known my parents on the plains, and now let me sit at her feet, giving me her workbox that I might look at its bobbins of different colored thread and the pretty needlebook. 
when I told her that the things looked a little like mother's, and that sometimes mother would let me take the tiniest bit of her wax, she gave me permission to take a tiny taste of that which I held in my hand, to see if it was like that which I remembered. Only she, the baby, and I sat down to tea. Yet she said she was glad she had company, for baby's papa was away with Captain Fremont, and she was lonesome. After I learned that she would have to stay until he came back, I was troubled and told what I had heard in the night. She assured me that those in charge of the fort heard every day all that was going on for miles and miles around, and that if they should learn that fighting Indians were coming, they would take all the white people and the good Indians to the fort and then shoot the bad ones with the cannon that peeped through its embrasures. The dainty meal and her motherly talk kept me a happy child until I heard the footsteps of the Lennox boys. I knew they were coming for me and that I should have to sleep in that dark room where I had been so afraid. Quickly slipping from my chair under the table and hiding behind my new friend's dress skirt, I begged her not to let them know where I was and please to let me stay with her all night. I listened as she sent the boys back to tell their mother that she would keep me until morning, adding that she would step in and explain matters after she put her baby to bed. Before I went to sleep, she heard me say my prayers and kissed me good night. When I awoke next morning, I was not in her house, but in Mrs. Lennox's wagon on the way to Sonoma. The distance between the fort and Sonoma was only about eighty miles, yet the heavy roads and the frequent showers kept us on the journey more than a week. It was still drizzling when we reached the town, and Mrs. Lennox learned where the Bruners lived. I had been told that they would be looking for me, and I expected to go to them at once. As we approached the west bank of the creek, which winds south past the town, we could see the branches on the trees in Grandma's dooryard swaying. Yet we could not reach there, because a heavy mountain storm had turned a torrent into the creek channel, washed away the footbridge, and overflowed the low land. Disappointed, we encamped on high ground to wait for the waters to recede. Toward evening, Jakey, gathering his cows on the opposite side, noticed our emigrant wagon and oxen, and as he drew nearer, recognized Mrs. Lennox. Both signaled from where they stood, and soon he decried me, anxious to go to him. He also was disappointed at the enforced delay, and returned often to cheer us and to note the height of the water. It seemed to me that we had been there days and days, when a mission Indian on a gray pony happened to come our way, and upon learning what was wanted, signaled that he would carry me over for a Mexican silver dollar. Jakey immediately drew the coin from his pocket and held it between thumb and forefinger high above his head in the sunshine, to show the native that his price would be paid. Quickly the Indian dismounted, looked his pony over carefully, cinched the blanket on tighter, led him to the water's edge, and turned to me. I shuddered, and when all was ready, drew near the deep flowing current tremblingly, yet did not hesitate, for my loved ones were beyond, and to reach them I was willing to venture. The Indian mounted, and I was placed behind him. By sign, he warned me not to loosen my hold, lest I, like the passing branches, should become the water's prey. With my arms clasped tightly about his dusky form, and his elbows clamped over them, we entered the stream. 
I saw the water surge up around us, felt it splash over me. Oh, how cold it was! I held my breath as we reached the deepest part, and in dread clung closer to the form before me. We were going downstream, drifting past where Jakey stood. How could I know that we were heading for the safe slope up the bank where we landed? The Indian took his dollar with a grunt of satisfaction, and Jakey bade me wave to the friends I had left behind as he put me on old Lisa's back and hurried off to Grandma, Liana, and Georgia, waiting at the gate to welcome me home. Georgia had a number of patches of calico and other trinkets which she had collected for me, and offered them as soon as we had exchanged greetings, then eagerly conducted me about the place. Grandma was more energetic and busier than at the fort, and I could only talk with her as she worked, but there was so much to see and hear that before nightfall my feet were heavy and my brain was weary. However, a good sleep under the roof of those whom I loved was all the tonic I needed to prepare me for a fair start in the new career, and Grandma's assurance, "'This be your home so long as you be good,' filled me with such gladness that, childlike, I promised to be good always and to do everything that should be required of me. Most of the emigrants in and around the Pueblo of Sonoma were Americans from the western frontiers of the United States. They had reached the province in the summer or early autumn of 1846 and for safety had settled near this United States Army post. Here they had bought land and made homes within neighboring distance of each other and begun life anew in simple, happy, pioneer fashion. The Bruners were a different type. They had immigrated from Switzerland and settled in New Orleans, Louisiana when young, and by toil and economy had saved the snug sum of money which they had brought to invest in California enterprises. They could speak and read French and German and had some knowledge of figures. Being skilled in the preparation of all the delicacies of the meat market and the products of the dairy, they had brought across the plains the necessary equipment for both branches of business and had already established a butcher shop in the town and a dairy on the farm less than a mile from it. Jakey was busy and useful at both places, but Grandpa was the owner of the shop and Grandma of the dairy. Her hand had the cunning of the Swiss cheesemaker and the deftness of the artist in butter molding. She was also an experienced cook and had many household commodities usually unknown to pioneer homes. They were thus eminently fitted for life in a crude new settlement and occupied an important place in the community. A public road cut their land into two unequal parts. The cattle corrals and sheds were grouped on one side of the road, and the family accommodations on the other. Three magnificent oaks and a weird blackened tree trunk added picturesqueness to the ground upon which the log cabin and outbuildings stood. The trim live oak shaded the adobe milk room and smokehouse, while the grand old white oak spread its far-reaching boughs over the curbed well and front dooryard. The log cabin was a substantial three-roomed structure. Its two outer doors opened with latch strings and were sawed across just above the middle so that the lower sections might be kept closed against the straying pigs and fowls while the upper part remained open to help the windows opposite give light and ventilation. 
The east end formed the ample storeroom with shelves for many stages of ripening cheese. The west end served as sleeping apartment for all except Jakey. The large middle room was set apart as kitchen and general living room. Against its wall were braced the dear old clock and conveniences for holding dishes, and the few keepsakes which had shared the wanderings of their owners on two continents. The adobe chimney, which formed part of the partition between the living and the sleeping apartment, gave a huge fireplace to each. From the side of the one that cheered the living room swung a crane worthy of the great copper cheese kettle that hung on its arm. In tidy rows on the chimney shelf stood bottles and boxes of medicine, two small brass kettles, and six bright candlesticks with hoods, trays, and snuffers to match. On the wide hearth beneath were ranged the old-fashioned three-legged iron pots, dominated by the large round one used as a bake-oven. Hovering over the fire sat the iron tea-kettle, with its slender throat and pointed lips, now warmed to song by the blazing logs, now rattling its lid with increasing fervor. A long table with rough redwood benches around it, a few straight-backed chairs against the wall, and Jakey's half-concealed bed in the far corner constituted the visible furnishings of this memorable room, which was so spick and span in German order and cleanliness that even its clay floor had to be sprinkled in regular spots and rings before being swept. It was under the great oaks that most of the morning work was done. There the pails and pans were washed and sunned, the meats chopped, the sausage made, head cheese molded, ham and bacon salted, and the lard tried out over the outdoor fires. Among those busy scenes, Georgia and I spent many happy hours and learned some of our hardest lessons, for to us were assigned regular tasks, and we were also expected to do the countless little errands which save steps to grown people and are supposed not to tire the feet of children. Grandma, stimulated by the success of her mixing and molding, and elated by the profit she saw in it, was often too happy and bustling to remember how young we were, or that we got tired, or had worries of our own to bear. Our small troubles, however, were soon forgotten when we could slip away for a while to the lovely playhouse which Leanna had secretly made for us in an excavation in the back yard. There we forgot work, used our own language, and played like other children. For we owned the beautiful cupboard dug in the wall, and the pieces of delft and broken glass set in rows upon the shelves, also the furniture made of stumps and blocks of wood, and the two bottles standing behind the brush barricade to act as sentries in case of danger during our absence. One stolen visit to that playhouse led me into such disgrace that Grandma did not speak to me the rest of the day and told Jakey all about it. In the evening, when no one else was near, he called me to him. I obeyed with downcast head. Putting his hand under my chin and turning my face up, he made me look straight into his eyes as he asked, who broke that glass cup that Grandma left on the dinner table full of milk and told you, watch it, bis Hendrik come home to his dinner, or bid she be done with her nap? I tried to turn my eyes down, but he would not let me, and I faltered, The chicken knocked it off, but he left the door open so it could get in. Then 
he raised his other hand shook his finger and in awe-inspiring tone continued yes i be sure the chicken do that but what for you tell grandma that heinrich do that there devil makes people tell lies and then he catches thee for his fire and he will catch you if you do that some more god who you mother tell you about will not love you i will not love you if you do that some more i be sorry for you because i thought you was his little girl and mine little girl jakey must have spent much time in collecting so many english words and they were effective for before he got through repeating them to me i was as heart-sore and penitent as a child could be after he had forgiven me he sent me to grandma later to acknowledge my wrong to hendrick and before i slept i had to tell god what a bad child i had been and ask him to make me good i had promised to be very careful and to try never to tell another lie and i had been unhappy enough to want to keep the promise but alas my sympathy for jakey led me into more trouble and it must have been on a sunday too for he was not working but sitting reverently under the tree with his elbows upon a table and his cheeks resting in the hollows of his hands before him lay the holy scriptures from which he was slowly reading aloud in solemn tones georgia and i standing a short distance from him listened very intently not hearing a single english word and not understanding many of the german i became deeply concerned and turning to her asked aren't you awful sorry for poor jakey there he is reading to god in german and god can't understand him i'm afraid jakey won't go to heaven if he dies my wise little sister turned upon me indignantly assuring me that god sees everybody and understands everybody's talk to prove the truth of her statement she rushed to the kitchen and appealed to grandma who not only confirmed george's words but asked me what right i had to believe that god was american only and could not understand good german people when they read and spoke to him she wanted to know if i was not ashamed to think that they who had loved me and been kind to me would not go to heaven as well as i who had come to them a beggar then she sent me away by myself to think of my many sins and i weeping accepted banishment from georgia lest she should learn wickedness from me georgia was greatly disturbed on my account because she believed i had willfully misrepresented god and that he might not forgive me when jakey learned what had happened he declared that i had spoken like a child and needed instruction more than punishment so for the purpose of broadening my religious views and keeping before me the fact that god can do all things and knows all languages grandma taught me the lord's prayer in french and german and heard me repeat it each night in both languages after i had said it as taught me by my mother it was about this time that leanna confided to me that she was homesick for elitha and she would go to her very soon she said that i must not object when the time came for she loved her own sister as much as i did mine and was as anxious to go to elitha as i had been to come to georgia she had been planning several weeks and knew of a family with which she could travel to sutter's fort later when she collected her things to go away she left with us a pair of beautifully knit black silk stockings marked near the top in fine cross stitch in white d and under that five 
The stockings had been our mother's. She had knit them herself and worn them. Georgia gave one to me and kept the other. We both felt they were almost too sacred to handle. They were our only keepsakes. Later, Georgia found a small tin box in which Mother had kept important papers. Recently, when referring to that circumstance, Georgia said, Grandma for a long time had used it for a white sugar box and kept it on a shelf so high that we could see it only when she lifted it down, and I don't think we took our eyes from it until it was put back. We felt that it was too valuable for us ever to own. One day I found it thrown away. One side had become unsoldered from the ends, and the bottom also was hanging loose. With a full heart, I grasped the treasure and put it where we could often see it. Long afterwards, Harry Huff kindly offered to repair it, and the solder that still holds it together is also regarded as a keepsake from a dear friend. End of chapter 20 Recorded by Donna Stewart, Seattle, Washington